For so many modern-driven women, life is about being more than one thing. We're multidimensional, and so are our conversations. We carry multiple identities. We can be both mother and artist, both attorney and entrepreneur, both clinician and CEO, both humble and proud. Life for women like us is about both, about all of the above. It's about the and. Our stories are the stories of so many of you. We wanted the freedom and flexibility to live life on our own terms, and we felt the pull to be more present with our families. But we still felt drawn to contribute, to build, and to create. And we wanted to establish financial security for ourselves and our children. For us, that looked like founding software companies, but for you, that may look different. Our mission is to help other smart, conscious women build and grow businesses on the internet. Starting up online can be overwhelming and isolating, but it doesn't need to be. Join us for honest conversations about what it really means to grow an online business that aligns with your values and adds something meaningful to the world. I'm Sandy Connery. And I'm Jenny Barcelos. And you're listening to the And She Spoke podcast. In our business, we're big fans of financial literacy and accountability. Knowing your numbers is an essential aspect of building a successful business and an inherent responsibility for any entrepreneur. We also believe that what you focus on grows. So pay attention to your money. How do we stay up to speed on our numbers? We use Bench for our bookkeeping. It's simple, elegant, and saves us so many hours that would otherwise be spent neck deep in receipts on the other side of a spreadsheet. Each month, our transactions are automatically imported into Bench, and we get on-demand financial reports. We even enjoy opening up our profit and loss statement to review each month. And when tax time comes around, we are up to date and ready to go. And this is what financial empowerment feels like. Head on over to anshe.co slash bench to save 20% off your Bench accounting plan for the first six months. Welcome to the Anshi Spoke Podcast. If you had attended our Thrive Online 2020 conference that happened a few weeks ago, you will recognize this week's guest from the amazing Feminist Reimagining of Money and Power panel. It's Amina Altai. Amina is a holistic business and mindset coach who has created a methodology that supports business health and simultaneously the health of the people in that business. After a decade in a fast-paced marketing career, she ended up dealing with two autoimmune diseases and was officially burnt out. She healed herself after receiving training in nutrition, fitness, and mindfulness, and her new mission is to teach others how to balance a thriving career, body, and mind. We talk money, feminism, and mindset, all the good stuff. You're going to love it. Please welcome Amina Altai. Yeah. So many of the women that I work with come in with resistance around money, even if they're expanded around it, there's some subconscious beliefs oftentimes about what's possible or where their ceilings are. So it's such important work for us to do. Mm-hmm. So Amina, I think we just need to get to know you a little bit. Let's hear who you are, what your business is. Tell us a little bit about you. Yeah. So I'm Amina Altai. My pronouns are she, her, hers. I'm a holistic leadership and mindset coach. And I came to this work because for a very long time, I felt very unhappy in my work. And I started my career in marketing and brand management. And I co-founded a marketing agency and I was working with emerging female entrepreneurs. And on the outside, it was like so glossy and wonderful and everything I ever wanted to do. 
But on the inside, it wasn't so fabulous. And I was still learning so much about myself and my own traits and how I carried them into work. And eventually, I burned out and I developed two autoimmune diseases. I developed Hashimoto's and celiac disease. And it was like this moment, this fork in the road where I really had to reevaluate my relationship with work and how I was showing up for it because I had no boundaries and I was taking care of all my clients and my coworkers and never myself. And so at that point, I decided that I needed to sell my shares in the agency and I had my eat, pray, love year. And I went Mm -hmm. back to school and I studied nutrition, mindfulness, movement, coaching, all the tools and things because I wanted to feel better. And I did feel better. And then I was just so lit up by what was available to me when I actually felt well, I wanted to figure out how to pay this forward, how to teach it forward. So from there, I created a corporate wellness company. And that was really fun and awesome and important. But again, I kind of felt like I was teaching from a part of myself versus being fully expressed. So after three or four years of doing that, I sat down and I decided like, this is my moment where I need to be in the fullness of my being. I need to pull in all of these pieces and parts of myself and create something that's truly representative and authentic. Mm -hmm. So at that point, I designed a curriculum that sits at the intersection of business coaching, mindset coaching, and wellness coaching. And I've been doing that for six years. And it's the most beautiful, fulfilling work I've ever done. And I feel so honored that I get to do it. And yeah. And I just want to acknowledge to the listeners, for any of you who have, who joined us for the Thrive Online 2020 conference, you'll recognize Amina's name because she was part of the Feminist Reimagining panel, the Women in Money and Power. So what was that like for you? We were just chatting before we started recording. And I just want to like, this is that Amina that we had. Here she is. <laughs> uh, so I came into this conversation literally gushing about that panel. I said that that was the best panel that I have ever been a part of, hands down. It was just so incredible everyone that was in the space, how you curated all of us, the questions that you asked, the community. It was just such a thoughtful experience. And we dug deeper into that conversation Mm -hmm. than I ever have in spaces like that. And it was profound. And I think we need more of it. Absolutely. We need more of it. And that's what we were just saying that this is the space for us anyways, is the podcast is like, this is what we want to, we want to talk about in these episodes. When did your business transition into the money mindset stuff? So when I created my coaching business about six years ago, it was really around helping women create the great work of their lives. And one that was really centered around Dharma. So I had read this book, Stephen Cope's Oh, book yes. That is one of our yeah. favorite yeah. books yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if you remember, but there's this line in the book where he says, when you miss your Dharma by a millimeter, you miss it by a mile. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like that just spoke to me. And I was like, this is what I'm creating this business for. I'm helping women shift that millimeter because I think so many of us climb that first mountain in our career. We look around and we realize this isn't it and we need to move that millimeter. So that was kind of the first iteration of this business. And as I was on the court with all these women, like this was essentially like the biggest research study of my life, coaching these women in their own businesses or in leadership. And I started to see some gaps. I started to see some things come to the surface, namely imposter syndrome being a really big one. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of stuff around money. And so I started to dig and do more research. And I was like, wow, there's not a lot of, not a lot of people are speaking to these women and not a lot of people are speaking to these women in a way that is resonant today. And so I'd say it's about three years ago now that I sat down and designed my money mindset curriculum. And it's been, I mean, it's been instrumental in my life. And then Mm -hmm. for all the women that I work with as well, it's been so helpful. So Amina, will you share a bit with our listeners about that framework? Yeah. So 
a lot of what I teach is around mindset. And so a lot of it is really around rewiring our beliefs. And so in that beautiful panel, we talked so much about how women and money and how for a long time, up until 250 years ago, women were property. When you got married, you gave everything that you owned over to somebody else. We couldn't have credit cards or mortgages in our names without a significant other, a male significant other until 1974 in the US. And so, of course, we have lineage and legacy and limiting beliefs around what's possible for us around money. And so this work really starts to ask us to sit down and think about, well, what are the stories that we learned around money? Like if we think of our mother's relationship around money, who we were exposed to, or our female figures that we were exposed to, they grew up in a time where they couldn't have the things that we could have today. So of course, that's going to imprint on us. So I always start to ask people, what are our core limiting beliefs around money? What associations did you have around women work and money growing up in the family system? women and worthiness growing up in the family system and really starting to rewire those beliefs so that we can lean into the possibility that more is available to us. Mm -hmm. And did you have a personal, I mean, obviously I think for all of us, this work is rooted in our own personal money stories. And was that a leading factor for you in wanting to create this body of work to share with others? It's such a beautiful question. So yeah, I think we absolutely teach what we need most, right? Yeah. <laughs> I was laughing about that. I'm like, I need this. And so I learn and then I teach. And so my relationship with money was a really interesting one. I had the availability to make, to make good money, but I had a disordered relationship with money in that I had this limiting belief that I have to give everything that I have at the expense of my own health in order to be successful. Mm-hmm. And when I sat down and I looked at it, I was like, ooh, this is legacy. So mm-hmm. my mom was a nurse and her mom was a nurse. But my grandma came from a very poor coal mining family and she had a really rough upbringing. And like even her growth was stunted because she was malnourished. Like she had a really tough time. And so she was hell bent on being successful. And so she worked really, really hard. She did great in nursing. And then she decided at 50 to start a new career. And she opened a chain of nursing homes, which she worked in until she was 90. And we literally had to like wrestle her out because she had dementia and it was time to stop. (laughs) So I started to notice how I had programming around working really hard Mm -hmm. from her. And I had lived with her when I was in my teenage years. And there was messaging around like, oh, well, like, if your nails are done and your hair is done, are you really working hard? It doesn't look like you're doing a hard day's work. And so I had this idea that must work myself into the ground. And it wasn't until these diagnoses and even a couple of years after that I realized how much that had impacted me. And then taking that into my business and redesigning it from a space of spaciousness and putting myself first and putting my wellness first. And I think I shared on the panel that self-sacrifice isn't a contribution, but that was the lens with which I was building my business. Like Mm -hmm. I will self-sacrifice so I can give this thing to the world, but then you take yourself out. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we all have money stories and that one was mine. Mm -hmm. Do you work with a lot of wellness people with wellness businesses? I do. So I would say my business is interesting. So because I started my career in marketing, I have a lot of marketing professionals. I have a lot of wellness professionals too, because I spent a lot of time in that space as well. So from nutritionists to shamans to an intuitive acupuncturist, yeah, it pretty much runs the gamut, but I do have a lot of female wellness professionals in my business. So do you find that they have a belief about that industry that they are not able to earn a lot of money? Yes. You know, what's so interesting because I work with a lot of people that maybe started their career elsewhere and then came to wellness as a second career. Right. So the equations that's often set up in our head is similar to the equation that I had, which was 
okay, I can work in this soul sucking career and make money, but it's like, I have to exchange soul for money. So then they're like, okay, cool. I can come to this space that I really love now, but now I get to do what I love, but that means that I can't make money at it, right? So we go to the Mm -hmm. opposite end of the spectrum. So what I'm teaching is that you can do everything that you love and make money at it, right? We just have to learn to reevaluate and reassign value to it. And a lot of it does go back to those formative years and what we learned in the family system, right? So if we grow up in families, cultures or subcultures that value a particular type of experience, maybe your family values like the STEM world and careers in sciences or what have you, and doesn't value this contribution, you're going to learn that that's not valuable. So it's about rewiring those beliefs about how we value these things. But of course, it's possible to change our relationship to money and make a lot of money in the wellness space. It's such a beautiful offering. Mm-hmm. You know what I think is interesting that I'm witnessing now is like, I can see there's this change happening and they're, they are questioning their values or questioning their beliefs around money. But then there's this thing of like, can you have money? Like I can start to believe that I can earn a certain amount of money and I can take a certain amount of salary. But then it's sometimes it's like in and then out. Like I have it, I spend it. And it, there's like these beliefs about just having money. Have you seen women like that? Yes. And I actually navigated this myself too. Particularly when I was changing careers, I was like, okay, I can have a lot of money. And then when I wasn't well, I was spending all this money on getting well. So I was like, oh, lots in, lots out. So then I looked at my relationship around surplus and I asked myself, do I feel worthy of extra or surplus? Mm -hmm. And there was this limiting belief in there of like, okay, I can have, but I always have to give it right back, right? I always have to be in this exchange and I didn't feel worthy of like actually having more or extra. And so that was about rewiring the beliefs around that too. Yeah, I think that's super interesting that we think we can earn, but then we can't actually hold on to it because somehow that is wrong or bad or greedy or whatever. And it's so much better to give, support family members or to, you know, give away to charity or what have you. And it's like, what if we just had money? What if we invested money? What if we just kept it in the bank account for a little while and decided what we wanted to do with it? Right. Or both. Like what if we keep it in motion and we also have extra surplus? Right. Right. You mentioned boundaries before. Can you talk a little bit about how you now define boundaries for yourself? Yeah. Actually, I was having a conversation around boundaries this morning and about how each new level of becoming requires new boundaries for us, right? It's like this fence that we have in front of our homes. And, you know, after a few years and lots of snow and rain, we need to reinforce the fence. And it's the same with boundaries, right? It's like if you're rising to this next level in your business, we want to look at the boundaries again as well. And I think the most beautiful thing about boundaries is like when I first started to learn about boundaries, I was like, oh, it's a way to like keep people out. But really they're for me, right? It's so that I can show up fully so that I can be more in service to you because when I'm not showing up fully and I'm not setting those boundaries, I can't be in support of you. Right. So how do you do it? So I like to make a list of tolerations. So tolerations are the spaces where we're tolerating things that we don't necessarily need to be tolerating in our lives. Mm -hmm. And the things that we're tolerating often keep us small and stuck. So in those spaces that we're tolerating, where does the boundary need reinforcing? So let's say I'm tolerating, not that this is happening because I have the most amazing team, but let's say I'm tolerating my team not showing up fully for me. Maybe there's some legacy stuff for me around allowing support in. So then I'm going to be like, okay, where are my boundaries being crossed? Are they dropping the ball? Am I not saying something about this? Do I need to have some honest conversations about this? But I would say the first place to look is those tolerations. Where are we tolerating that we need not be tolerating? Because generally there's going to be a wishy-washy boundary in there. And those are known. Like you don't, you're not like, am I tolerating this or am I not? You know, when you are tolerating, like it's like, yep, right there. That's where it's happening. I mean, how much self-awareness we have and how much we want to look at something. Even recently, I 
during the pandemic, I had like another health challenge and was like, oh my God, I'm here again. Like, how is this happening again? I thought I'd learned all these lessons universe. And then I was like, oh, I'm tolerating, like not feeling in my body. I'm, and I'm not putting that first because my boundaries are still porous over here. So even if we are at a certain level, there might be spaces where we're still tolerating and being a little wishy-washy. But I think it's like going to the pain points. We have to go straight into the pain points to see. Mm-hmm. Which can be uncomfortable. Always. <laughs> Speaking of the pandemic, and obviously you come from a background in wellness and your coach, and you have really wrestled with so many of these issues yourself and figured out ways to create systems around supporting yourself through growth and, and a host of other challenges. How do you navigate the digital analog world in your work and in your life? Like, how do you create boundaries, not just with people, but around technology, especially during a pandemic where our lives are largely online? Yeah, this is so about boundaries. So when I shifted because I was doing a lot of work in person before the pandemic. Luckily, my work Mm -hmm. kind of seamlessly translates, but I designed kind of like my ideal schedule. And then again, this was like, let me step into this and let me live into this and see how it feels, this ideal schedule. And at the end of this year, I'm actually realizing it's an, I actually need a different version of this ideal schedule. So what it was at the beginning of the year is different to what it is now. Mm -hmm. And that actually is largely to do with health. I'm realizing that so much screen time for me and like all the EMS is not the healthiest thing. So Mm -hmm. I'm consolidating my screen screen time to two and a half days. And then there's two and a half days where I'm working and maybe it's more in creative flow, but I'm not on screen because that, that allows me to show up more healthily, more creatively, more fully. And so I think it's really asking yourself, what's the dream? Like, what's the dream with my work? What's the dream with my schedule? What boundaries do I need in place to be able to honor and support that dream? Like when I revised my schedule now for going into 2021, I shared it with my team and I said, I want you to be my accountability partner because Like I can be porous with my boundaries, especially when it comes to my clients and I want to get everybody in. And so I really need you to hold me accountable and ensuring that I honor this new schedule. What does that actually look like? I would love to learn, like, what do you, how are we not looking at a screen for two and a half days? Is it pen and paper? What are the things? What are the markers? What do we need? What? Let me clarify. So on screen, I mean, like I'm not on video. Oh, got it. Okay. So I'll have two and a half days. That's like all video because I'm seeing my clients and my virtual retreats and all that stuff. So the other two and a half days, one of them is my CEO day. So that's where I'm like doing my like leadership stuff, my thought leadership, or I'll have meetings with my social media team, my assistant, Mm -hmm. that type of thing. Fridays are my creative flow days. So they're unscheduled. I like them to be off screen and make exceptions, obviously, for amazing things like this. (laughs) And then my half days on Thursday, those are totally like off computer. Those are like thinking Mm -hmm. work, writing in my journal, like thinking about new frameworks. And I like to do that on paper. Mm -hmm. That's so helpful to hear because Sandy and I both take in a lot of information around the critiques of tech. I mean, we run a tech company and we're both also massive critics of the role that technology plays in people's lives. And we've worked really hard in our own business to make sure that we're not putting any additional negative tools into our own tech that kind of keep people addicted to their screens more than they need to. However, I think there's not a lot of talk about practically how do we do work and operate effectively in our lives without tech. So any anytime I have a chance to ask anyone, like, what is your analog solution to anything? I will, because I think there's a lot of room to talk about that stuff. 
I agree. And I also think that there's such magic in working on paper and rolling yeah. ink. And I don't think we do that so much anymore. But I love to think that way on like on my half day Thursdays where I'm thinking about like new frameworks and worksheets and things like that. It's so fun to touch paper, to map it out, to put it on the wall, to be off the screen. You think differently. Yeah. There's something about tactile experiences in the world and making things and doing things with our hands. Like I think that there's probably a connection to our brain that someone will figure out <laughs> like a creativity connection that like actually exists in the way that, that our brains are wired. Because I know, I mean, there's just, there's that adage that we're more creative when we're in the shower. And I know for me, nature is my space. Like that's where I have my best thinking and best ideas. So yeah. I love that nature too, for me as well. Yeah. How do you handle social media? What are your thoughts there about how you show up? So really attempt to show up there authentically. I think that's the biggest thing, right? I navigate this with a lot of clients. A lot of people feel resistant to the social media space because it's like, quote unquote, toxic positivity, or it's not real life, or it's like an energy suck. And so this is about like working with our authentic energy code is what I call it. It's like we all have these unique flows and we all show up a little differently throughout the day, throughout the week. And so when it comes to your social media, like, how do you want to show up? One, like, what's authenticity to you? How do we connect that to pillars and core values and what you want to be talking about? And then also in terms of the structure that we put together for you to produce that, how do we connect that with your authentic energy? So for me, I like to sit down, I call myself a sprinter, not an endurance runner. So twice a month, I will sit down and map out my social and I'll just like bang it out. Like, that's kind of how I think I like to just like have that one quick run. And then I hand it off to my assistant. So I'll write everything, but then she'll do the graphics for me. She'll upload it. She'll schedule it and all of that. And then we do a bi-weekly meeting with my social team to look at what's working, what's not working. But it's really from a space of curiosity and attempting to show up authentically versus this relationship of, you know, must be seen and it has to have this role in my life. And I find that's effective for my clients too. Mm -hmm. How big is your team? So it's really me and my assistant and my mm -hmm. assistant slash project manager. And then for social media, we have an external agency. And then I have a bookkeeper, accountants, and all of those. Yeah. All the, all the regular, all the huge. <laughs> yeah. Can you talk a little bit about, and this is Jenny's favorite topic, imposter syndrome. What do you see? When have you experienced it? How do you deal with it? Yeah. So this is a big one in my work. And I didn't realize how much it had been impacting me until like the last five years. So Jenny, if you are a lover of imposter syndrome in the way that I am, you'll know it's connection to perfectionism. Mm -hmm. So I really love Dr. Valerie Young's work on imposter syndrome and perfectionism. And she talks about the five perfectionistic archetypes. So there's the expert, there's the soloist, there's the natural genius, there's the perfectionist. And what's the one that I'm missing? It'll come to me. Anyway, so there are these five perfectionist archetypes. And we move through life connected to that perfectionism. And that obviously keeps us stuck, right? We're very much in the fixed mindset when we are in perfectionism versus the growth mindset. And when we're in that fixed mindset, of course, we feel like imposters because we feel like if we're not showing up in a particular type of way, we're quote unquote failing. And so really the, the antidote to the imposter syndrome is unapologetic devotion to our work and showing up authentically, right? Because the imposter syndrome is about trying to fit into somebody's mold. Mm -hmm. In my work, I talk about pivoting from role models to whole models, and I see kind of imposter syndrome as role model, right? Like we have these roles that we want to live into, like maybe it's the CEO or it's the entrepreneur or whatever it is. And oftentimes it's other people's belief systems. But the whole model is about peeling off these layers of familial, cultural, societal programming, standing in your authenticity and serving from that place. And that's how we reconcile the imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. 
I have my own theories, but I should just ask you, do you think that people continually suffer through bouts of that? Or is it something that you recognize and can deal with? I think it's a both end. So like as a woman of color, I have really rumbled with imposter syndrome in interesting ways. So when I first came to coaching, I didn't see a lot of women coaches that looked like me. Like actually I saw none. And so I remember thinking like, oh my God, I don't belong in this club. I don't belong in this space. And so I started to think about, well, who are people that look like me that have achieved you know, success or have been the first only difference in their spaces? And so I started to look for these women and I found one who had like a very similar background to me. I found one who had the same middle name and birthday as me. And I was like, oh my God, they're out there. They're so much like me and it's possible. So starting to rewire my brain around what's possible through these examples in the real world. And so by doing that work, and then I think also by really anchoring in my work and what's true and authentic to me and not trying to teach from anybody else's book has really reconciled that for me. But I will say, like I was saying before around boundaries, each new level of becoming Mm -hmm. requires something different of us. And so I think oftentimes the boundaries knock on the door or the imposter syndrome knocks on the door. So I think we do navigate varying shades of it, but we can also reconcile it. Yeah, I would say just every time you reach a new milestone or a new level of success or you challenge yourself in any way, you're now doing something you've never done before. And so obviously it doesn't, like there's this sense of I don't belong here because it's unfamiliar territory. And so, I mean, I think part of this is just for me, the ability to think about imposter syndrome and address it just comes with maturity and just having experienced it so much that it's like, oh yeah, this is what happens when I do something new. But like when I was 20, in my early 20s, and I was experiencing a lot of new things. And I, I remember when I started graduate school, the first time I heard about imposter syndrome, because I went to Yale for graduate school, and I started feeling like I'm going to get kicked out of here, like I shouldn't be here. And I had no framework to think that that imposter syndrome existed or what it was. And then I like slowly realized that all of the women I was meeting in my program and becoming friends with all felt like we just started being like, Oh, you feel like that? Wait, no, you totally belong here. I'm the one that doesn't belong here. And then recognizing that this is just a normal thing that happens when you reach a new level of success or you find yourself in a new environment. I love that. I think there's so much truth and beauty to what you just shared. And it also reminds me of what we were talking about on the panel. And one of the things that really helps us reconcile that too is community, is being in a space with other people that might be navigating what we're going through and really normalizing the experience to take the shame out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Kelly Deal said that. She did. Community heals. Community heals. It's the truth. And in my, (laughs) yeah, the snaps. In my experience, a friend of mine, Rosie, who was in my program, printed out an academic article on imposter syndrome and started handing it out to like our friends. She's like, hey, I just found out about this. You guys have to read this article. And I was like, oh my God, it's like we all feel the same way. And it totally diffused it. Like from that moment on, once you feel like, you're not alone, that imposter syndrome doesn't have power over you anymore. So yeah, it's all about that. Love that. Cool. Do you want to move into Join Hustle, Jenny? Let's do it. So Amina, we always end every episode with our guests asking for a joy and hustle. So something that's bringing you joy in your life right now and a tool that you use and love that can help our listeners hustle in their career or business. Yeah, I love these questions. They're so juicy. So something that's brought me joy this year in particular is I started doing silent retreats at home. So I used to go on meditation retreats, but obviously in a global pandemic, that's a challenge. So I started doing these silent retreats at home. I live with my husband and we designed it. And I was just like, listen, for two days, 
I will not talk to you. I will be oh my in my God. zone. Like I'm just going to like read spiritual text and like, we would sleep in the same bed, but I was like, here's my rules for communication. Like, if you need me, you can leave an urgent message on this pad by the fridge. But other than that, like, we are not communicating for two days. And it was the most beautiful, freeing experience ever. It was incredible. Did he fight you on it? He's like, this is crazy. I'm not doing it. Or was he like all in? You know what? I'm sure he was happy that I was silent for two days. <laughs> like, it, was, it was all about it. Wow. Was he, he was still like, talking to people during that time? Like, it, oh, yeah. he, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. He was like living his best life and like yeah. talking to people. I was just over here being silent. But honestly, we got along great for those two days. <laughs> yeah, I bet. That sounds like the most, like, as you're saying this, like people can't see my face lighting up, but the idea of two days of silence is maybe the best thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Jenny wants that for her every day. Like oh that's just regular life. Yeah. I, I don't think we realize, like, I don't think we realize how much we've been taking in in this moment because we are home and it's the boundaries of turning off are a little more blurred. It's a, I don't think we realize how much we've onboarded or taken on. So the more we can set those boundaries and switch on, I think the better right now. Mm, I love it. That is a brilliant, brilliant. How many times have you done it? I've done it twice, but I'm feeling like I need it again. Yeah, it's like a weekly thing. I'd be like <laughs> two days every week. Nobody talk to me. I'm not yes. literally hundred percent. Oh my goodness. And then my hustle, my hustle. So I actually just created this new worksheet and it came out of need for myself. And so it's about overcoming overwhelm. So I talked a little bit about tolerations before, but in this worksheet on overcoming overwhelm, I look at three areas, tolerations. So what are we tolerating that we need not be? And that's usually connected to some wishy-washy boundaries and then structure and support. So what structures do you need in place to feel a little more supported and less overwhelmed? And then what support do you need in terms of other people or resources and things like that? So it's this is helpful three-part process to take yourself through to see where you could use a little upholding that could support you in overcoming overwhelm. Nobody feels overwhelmed these days. <laughs> it's the number one thing we hear on our mindset calls is like, I'm so overwhelmed, like constantly. And I think it's just heightened in this pandemic, of course. So yeah, that's super helpful. Yeah. yeah. So where can people learn more about you? Thank you for asking. You can learn more on my website, which is aminaaltai.com. And I'm sure the spelling will be in the show notes. Absolutely. <laughs> and my Instagram handle, which is the same, aminaaltai. Awesome. Amina, thank you so much for participating in our Thrive Online conference last week or two weeks ago and uh, spending this time with us. We really appreciate it. And we're so glad that we can call you our friend now. I know. Thank you so much. It's been my honor and my joy to be a part of both. And you all are so amazing. And the community is incredible. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having oh, me. Thank you. Thank you, Amina. Ready to go from, I really want to build an online business, but don't know where to start to, wow, I've just sold my first digital product. That's exactly what we're going to help you do during our free become an online teacher course. We've created a simple five-day email-based course to teach you everything you need to get started as an online teacher. By the end of the week, you'll have a digital product that's mapped out, priced, and ready to offer your community. Head over to soulful.mba teacher to sign up. It's totally free. 